So, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, if you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that this one should be fun. And so grab your Bibles, flip on over there. Uh, we've got uh, the app that's got the Bible on it. We've got a big glowing Bible behind me here. And so that'll be there for you. Last week we started a little mini-series within our study of 1 Corinthians uh, addressing sexuality. And so Paul uh, gets right into sexuality and intimacy. And so uh, we continue on that trajectory today and we'll be for the next four weeks together uh, or maybe even five. Uh, today we look at marital intimacy. My in-laws are in town. So how cool is that? Um, that'll be great. Um, if you're a parent, I would say this. Um, if you're a parent and you have young ears with you, you might want to slip out and take advantage of our amazing children's program in the back there, River Kids. Um, but just a warning. Uh, my poor wife, she's always here thinking, oh gosh, what is he going to say today? And uh, last week I looked in the back and Pastor Kevin's back there with his head in his hands the whole time. And I, I was just wondering, what is going on? But he told me, he's, I was praying for you. Uh, the, the church I grew up in, um, there were actually like two thrones on the stage, is what I called them. And uh, one was during the music, the, the preaching pastor would sit on the throne. And then uh, during the preaching, the worship pastor would go sit on the other throne, his throne. And, and he would sit up there through the entire sermon. It was very entertaining because he just could not stay asleep, awake through any sermon. And so we were just watching his head bob. But imagine if you had the privilege of watching Pastor Kevin's facial expressions during uh, these sermons. That would just be very, that would be very entertaining, wouldn't it? It'd be a lot of fun for us, not for Kevin. But uh, hey, let me just start off by uh, being transparent and saying that as a parent, I tend to be uh, the no parent, and uh, my wife tends to be the yes parent. And so my kids know who to go to for ice cream, and I've been struggling really hard lately, just working really hard, I should say, uh, towards just saying Yes, more. Because the truth is, my role as a parent, and your role if you're a parent, is to, to really parent under the example of God the Father. And God the Father says yes, 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 more often than I think we give him credit for. And so uh, the other night, uh, we went out to, uh, we were tasked to go get some dessert for, we had some company over. And so my son Luca and I went to uh, the Star Market, and we uh, got some uh, shortbread uh, for uh, some strawberry shortcake, and we got some uh, Cool Whip, and uh, we get to the car, and I said uh, to my, my son, Luca, I said, would you like some Cool Whip or some whipped cream? He goes, really? I said, yes, and I popped the cap open. I said, tilt your head back, and she went, Shh. and he thought it was the coolest thing ever, and that was a dad win right there. Now, when it comes to God and sexuality, often all we ever hear are the no's. In the Bible, there are actually a whole lot of yeses. And so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, in fact, um, let me give you a second chance at last week's Bible trivia quiz. Remember that? I gave you some Bible trivia last week. I said, what was the first command of the Bible? Do you remember? Oh, man, hopefully you got it. You're just not allowed to say it out loud. Genesis chapter 128. We can say, see, we're used to the nose. Genesis 128, the very first command of the Bible, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It could be as lame as a handshake, but he says, I want this being fruitful thing to be enjoyable for you. And so the very first command of the Bible is a resounding yes, is a, a do, is a enjoy. The very first words out of God's mouth in the Bible to 
mankind is, yes, I am after your joy. There are rules in the Bible, but we need to know that for every negative command, every do not, there is a positive command, a do, a this is better for you. And so as we saw last week, God has a high view of sexuality. It was his idea. It was his design for husband and wife to come together and to become one and to enjoy a robust intimate life. And so last week we looked at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We saw the don't regarding the the Greek word porneia or sexual immorality. This week at the beginning of chapter 7 we get the do. Last week was flee and this week is run to. And so uh, let's just get right into the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, It is not good for man to have sexual relations with a woman. Let me just, I I need to stop here. So the Apostle Paul, uh, if you remember, some of you are a little bit newer. The Apostle Paul started this church in the city of Corinth several years prior. A very kind of promiscuous, kind of wild, uh, progressive city. Not not unlike Boston, but maybe more like Vegas uh, or Amsterdam. But uh, you, you may remember that from the beginning of the, the, the letter, we have Chloe's people who report to Paul. Now, Chloe was probably some wealthy businesswoman who had employees. She had people who would travel for the business, and they travel to where Paul is now because he started the church, moved on. He's writing this letter back to them. And so Chloe's people travel a bit to where Paul is now and and they report some issues that are plaguing the church and so Paul through the letter so far has been addressing these issues but here we see that also in addition to what Chloe's people have reported uh, to Paul there was also this letter that was written to Paul with some questions or with some thoughts verse 7 or chapter 7 verse 1 now concerning the matter about which you wrote so they wrote him something and what happens is in the next really eight chapters of this book it's Q&A with the Apostle Paul. Does anybody go to conferences for your work? Some of you guys go to conferences. And so for me, uh, I go to conferences and, and going to conferences, you know, the sessions are fine, I guess. But in today's day and age, I'd rather just be home with my family uh, because I can look up those sessions on YouTube and, and just kind of listen to lectures that way. But what I do really love about uh, conferences is the Q&A stuff that you get. You mix it up with people and then you uh, get those panel discussions where you get different people on a stage. And that's really the next eight chapters and 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 there's just kind of this Q&A with the Apostle Paul and so uh, first up this guy uh, Paul isn't it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman now very important clarification here Uh, this is not Paul's statement if you look really carefully uh, the people who translated this out of the the Greek put quotations there now quotations weren't in in the original language but they're there for us just to kind of make sense of of it all and so there's a colon quotations and he says uh, concerning the matters about which you wrote quote it is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman so this is not Paul saying a man should not have sexual relations with a woman. In case, just to be clear, because you could read that and not see all the quotes and everything there and, and take it out of context. That's not what Paul's saying. This, he says, you said this. And, and so as we read on, we also see that Paul is speaking specifically to married people in this section. So the, the question is really, Pastor Paul, isn't it good for a married man not to have sex with his wife? What? 
I mean, what, what, is this, what does this mean? Where does this come from? Well, remember last Sunday we talked about uh, God created three kinds of creatures. He created angels, animals, and humans. Angels are fully spirit. We see in the Bible they do manifest themselves in, in the physical uh, at times, but they're fully spirit. Uh, animals are, are, are fully physical. They're, they're, your, your animal doesn't have a soul. I know you love your pet. They're great. They're God's gift to you, but... They don't have a soul. And then there's humans, both spirit and physical. They have a soul and a body. And so we aren't, I don't have a body. I am a body. I don't have a spirit. I am spirit. I'm fully integrated human. And so at the end of chapter 6, Paul addresses the animal crowd. And at the beginning of chapter 7, Paul addresses the angels crowd. The animal crowd basically just takes the position of, you know, we're just animals, you know, just highly evolved beings. And, and when we have sexual intimacy, we're just, we're really just satisfying our primal instincts. And so anything goes, just whatever feels good, go for it. And that's where Corinth was at. But then the counterpart to that, there were some people within the church that were maybe the, the angel crowd, right? No, no, no. The body is essentially a prison for the soul. Remember Platonic, Plato, Platonic dualism? They're, they're basically saying the body is evil, so we oppose sex altogether, which, by the way, would be the end of humanity, and so that doesn't really work. And, and so they're at least saying we enjoy uh, or we oppose the enjoyment of sex. It's just purely just procreation. That's all it is. That's, that's what dualism would say sex is essentially evil and it's just for making babies, period. That's it. And, and, and this is kind of that legalistic, sex is bad thinking. It's really damaging. Just obviously it's for procreation, but obviously God made this for, for so much more. And the Bible doesn't hold back on that either. Right? That's why we feel free to talk about it here. The Bible doesn't hold back on it. Proverbs chapter 5, uh, 18 and 19. Delight in the wife of your youth. Let her breast fill you at all time with delight. Be intoxicated with her love. Uh, a couple years ago, we looked at Song of Solomon. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends. That would be the Lord. Eat, friends. Drink and be drunk with love. So we're not just angel. We're not just animal. We are not uh, just spiritual. We're not just simply physical. We are both. We are human. We are fully integrated beings. And so that's kind of where this question comes from. Like we're, th this is the other crowd, the, the angel crowd, that we're, we're spiritual beings. And so we're above sex. We, you can be married, but don't enjoy it. Don't, don't, don't enjoy it. Now Paul says, no, that's a, that's a bad idea for, for sure. That's the context. That's how they come up with this odd conclusion. Now the next five verses will help us to understand marital sexual intimacy. So Paul's answer, answer to the question. Verse 1, Pastor Paul, isn't it good for a married man not to have sex with his wife? Verse 2, check it out. Verse 2, he says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should, say praise God, each, each man should have his own wife and each man, sh or each woman should have her own husband. Now, he, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying you know, because you live in Corinth, a city that is, is rampant with sexual immorality, if you're single, you better hurry up and get married and have sex so that you don't fall. I mean, that, that would not be a very hopeful, positive view of, of marital intimacy. Get down on one knee and say, babe, 
I love you, and I can't control myself, so can we get married? I mean, that would be horrible. That would be horrible. And he's saying, because we live in a city where sexual immorality is rampant, if you are already married, you need to make love all the time, is what he's saying. Verse 3 says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, that doesn't translate very well uh, from Greek to English. It just sounds so cold. Like if I ever said to my wife, hey babe, you want to go out on a date, have some wine, come home, exchange conjugal rights, that would not, just would not go well at all. It sounds like punishment. I mean, it just sounds horrible. It's just cold in the English. But the idea here is that sexual intimacy is absolutely essential and vital to your marriage. In fact, you are called by God, the word is to give, to give yourself away to your spouse. That's a very important clarifying word that we're giving because so many people just kind of think of sexuality as receive and, and personal gratification. And he's saying, no, you were called to give to your spouse. Ephesians chapter 5 says the mystery of marriage is profound because what it is, the mystery of marriage, is that it displays to the world the sacrificial love that Jesus has for us. So our giving in sexuality is ultimately under the example of Jesus who died on a brutal Roman execution tool, the cross. And so if we are to pursue intimacy like that, we are called to be givers. We are called to be sacrificial. It's not if I don't, well, I don't feel like it or eh, you know, I'm, I'm tired. We are called to be sacrificial and to be givers. Verse 4, chapter 7, verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. He's saying, once married, you are not your own. We couple that with, if you look just above that, what we looked at last week, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. And so your body, chapter 6, first and foremost, is God's, therefore glorify God with your body. And then second, it's your spouse's. And so, if your body is your spouse's, if you're married, some conclusions we could draw is that we should care for our bodies. We should do our very best to care for our bodies first, for the Lord, because we're to be good stewards of God's very grace and gifts. Uh, secondly, so that we can give to our spouse. Now, now I need to say this. I need to be kind of, not kind of, I need to be clear here. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, eat bean sprouts and chug protein shakes all the time and work out and become a gym rat. It, it doesn't mean that, 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 that you need to be consumed with how you look all the time. That stuff we know doesn't always last, doesn't ever last. It does mean that you should be thinking about your spouse with regards to your health, with regards to your personal grooming. My wife does not like beards. Let me just be clear about that. I mean, it would be so cool if I grew it out and had the lumberjack look, but she won't kiss me if I don't shave past seven days, and so it's just done. And so I got I to gotta shave, right? And, and ladies, giving yourself away also means that... that, that 
Though your babies demand constant attention, it would be a good thing to occasionally change out of sweatpants, uh, the shirt that has spit up on it, uh, and, and understanding my husband is very visual creature. This is not chauvinistic. This is how God wired men uh, generally very different from women. And, and so, listen, many people will kind of think about, and even Christians, especially Christians, I would say, think about beauty as like this awful, uh, shallow thing. But as you read the Bible, from cover to cover, the Bible actually celebrates beauty. Beauty is, beauty is, a, is a good thing. But the Bible is also honest about beauty. Proverbs chapter 31, beauty is what? It's fleeting, right? So, so men... Beauty is fleeting. Your standard for beauty is your wife. Always your wife, period. You are instructed in the scriptures to delight in the wife of your youth. So that means that when you're both not youth anymore, you are still delighting in her. And you know what destroys this today? Photos, advertisements, everywhere. Just destroys that. Ability to delight in the wife of your youth. Men, you have to train your eyes to bounce because you can't, it's everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. Your wife sends you to go get some, some whipped cream. It's, it's right there at the, ch- and it's everywhere. And so you've got to train your, I mean, it, it just, it's, it's awful. And, and, and these photos are impossible standards of beauty, impossible. I mean, nobody can, not even the model herself can live up to her own photo that is produced because she's been fasting for a week. She's been airbrushed. They take the computer and they say, tuck that in there a little bit, shadow that over there, give her the perfect complexion. It's impossible and it's completely and utterly destructive. And so your standard of beauty is your wife. I I love uh, in Song of Solomon, in in, in chapter one, verse five, if you remember when we went back through that, uh, the, the Shulamite woman, his, his wife, says, I am very dark, but lovely. Now, today, dark is in. In that day, dark was not in. It was, it was out. It would mean, if you were dark, that you were uh, out in the fields working quite a bit. The sun was beating on you, and so it was kind of associated with being poor, being a worker bee, not somebody that was of, of the desired status. And, and, and yet, King Solomon's wife says, I'm dark, but, but lovely, because she knows that hey, Solomon sees me as lovely. She knows that Solomon is in to dark. And with his words, he has assured her of that so that she can say, I'm dark, but I know that I'm, I'm lovely. My man loves me and is attracted to me. And so men tend to be visual. Women tend to be more kind of words driven generally. And so generally speaking, I would say this, uh, sex starts in the kitchen, not in the bedroom. It starts when throughout your day, you're sharing kind words, you're complimenting, you're talking, you got to talk, you got to talk. That's got to happen. And, and when you have meaningful conversation and you read through the Song of Solomon and Solomon and his bride, they use lots of words, didn't they? And they just back and forth and back and and, and forth. And he assured her, I love dark. And so be be mindful of your words. Be mindful of what your eyes see. Care for your, your body so that you can serve your spouse. But at the same time, ensure that your spouse is your, your standard of beauty. Ensure that she's your standard 
uh, of beauty. If your spouse is thin, you're really into thin. If your spouse is short, you're really into short. If your man is getting gray, you love that salt and pepper look. You love that wisdom of that man. Right? That's why I keep telling myself as the grays are just I'm just wise. I'm just getting wise. Right? If your spouse's body change, hey, things are getting fresh. This is great. Right? Beauty is 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 it's celebrated in the Bible, but beauty is fleeting. Another important aspect uh, about the Song of Solomon, next time you read it, next time you read it, uh, pay attention to the usage of the word my, M-Y, my beloved, my bride, my love, my garden, my, you're mine, and you're mine. And, and, And as you look at the Song of Solomon, also pay attention to who speaks most in the song. The bride speaks most. She's speaking back and flattering him. And here's the thing. The culture wants to tell you that men just want sex and women are just, they're prudish and they're rolling their eyes. Okay, whatever. No, the Bible's primary example of healthy, flourishing sexuality, she is actively engaging and pursuing and dreaming and flattering and speaking words of affirmation. He doesn't just need some quick attention and then go to sleep. Ladies, men live in a cutthroat, highly competitive climate. The pressure of providing, the, the pressure of caring for my, my family and, and, and even in the workplace, winning. and It's just exhausting and it can be even sometimes demoralizing. And, and the bedroom with his spouse is, a, is an encouraging, energizing place where he's told, I choose you. I adore you. You are a winner in my book, right? It's, it's a great place of, of care, and, and God does deep work in the soul at the Akkad level. Similarly, men, she is constantly seeing those ads as well, those impossible standards as well. And like Solomon, you have the great privilege to honor her and to remind her with your words and with your creativity and planning dates and romance. I choose you. You are beautiful. I'm into dark. I'm into short. I'm into gray. I'm whatever it is. You are lovely to me. And so they're speaking and they're romancing and there's a lot of the usage of the word my. You're my beloved. You're my bride. You're my love. You're my garden. You're my beloved. You're my husband. You're my love. You're my garden. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, notice again, if you go back there, the wife does not have authority over her body, but the man does. Now this was completely culturally acceptable in that day and age, but what was completely groundbreaking was what Paul says next. He says, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body. The wife does. There were places all over the world in that day and age where the the wife's body was considered property of her husband. But for Paul to say, the husband's body belongs to the wife, would have been completely shocking in that day. Nobody, nobody said stuff like that. 
and, and, and sometimes Paul gets a bad rap, right? People say, oh, he's, he's chauvinistic because of some of the stuff he gets into with regards to, to gender roles. But, but he was probably the most progressive, egalitarian guy out there in that day and age. In that day and age, it was, it was common for, for men to have multiple wives and mistresses and prostitutes whenever they want. Completely socially acceptable, not at all okay for women, but acceptable for the men. And Paul says, no. It goes both ways. Your body, men, belong to your wife. You're to, to serve for her. You're, you're to serve for her, her joy. And, and the only place in, in really all of ancient literature where you would see that idea of mutuality as well, the Jewish scriptures in the Song of Solomon. So man works, even sacrifices for the joy and the pleasure of his wife. And the woman works and even sacrifices for the joy and the pleasure of of, of the husband. And Paul gets his theology right out of Jewish scriptures. So God's ways have always been higher than man's ways. And, and God's thoughts on sexuality has always been better than man's thoughts on sexuality because he invented it and he knows how we are to flourish, that we are to sacrificially serve one another for the mutual enjoyment of each other. You are not your own, which is why he says in verse 5, look at verse 5, do not deprive one another. Or you could, that word could actually be translated defraud one another, which is the same word in the original language from the lawsuit section of, of 1 Corinthians. He says when, when you're not giving of yourself to the other person, you are actually defrauding the other person. When you're not being intimate with the other person, with your spouse, you are stealing from your spouse what is rightfully hers, what is rightfully his. And that is sin. You should never use, never use sex as reward or sex as punishment. You were good. Here you go. You were bad. Stay away from me. That's sin. And you need to repent of that. And yet, you'd be surprised. It's all the time. It happens all the time. There's always excuses not to be intimate. You know, long day, long week, long month, long life. Oh, man. Or I'm tired. Or the kids have been crazy. The job is stressing me out. The issues with the house. The issues with the car. I got to stay back at the office. I got to stay downstairs while you go upstairs to bed because I got a lot of emails to fire off. Some of you singles, I'm completely destroying your American dream right now. You're like, what? I thought this happens like all the time, like every day. Paul says, listen, you need to be intimate, period. And the way most couples operate is if we're having struggles, if we're having issues, it just stops. Just stops. So when we get counsel, when we work some things out, we patch it up, then we kind of start back up again. Paul says, no, I'm not making exceptions here. Because Paul knows that sex is actually a part of the healing process. I, I deeply believe in counseling. And there's a time for counseling. And in fact, let us know through your comment section on your card if you need some help in some areas. But, but remember, sex is the way in which two become one. The cop. It's not a magic pill for all your problems, but it certainly helps. And it's catalytic for greater intimacy. And so to withhold or to wait until we get everything figured out and worked out, it actually does more damage. And so Paul says, do not deprive one another. That's his only negative command in this section, by the way. It's the only do not. 
Then he says, except, he gives one exception, and that is for prayer. So I'm going to pray and fast all night long, honey. So he says, that's the one exception, I guess. Verse 5. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So one exception, prayer. And even there he says, perhaps. Like, I, I mean, I guess. Like if, like if perhaps you, for prayer, if the, I mean, to go back to their statement, like if there's one, okay, uh, as if to say you can't do both. <laughs> I, think, I think you can probably, but, but okay, perhaps. I mean, prayer is okay. And, and then he said, but come together again so that Satan won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And then in verse 6, he says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. In other words, this is not normative. This is just a concession to your thought. Okay, I guess, maybe. And so if you're, you're married and you're not having sex, he's saying you are opening yourself up to satanic temptation. You are. And a great way to fight off temptation and to stay pure in marriage, to pursue holiness in marriage is not prayer, it's not Bible study, it's not counseling, it's not accountability, it's faithful, fulfilling, frequent physical intimacy faithful to just the two of you, fulfilling God wants it to be sacrificial and lead to great joy and frequent sexual intimacy. You must invest in your intimate life if you are married. It's working really hard at creating safe spaces where the locks on the doors work, safe spaces where it's clean, it smells nice, you got to invest in, in getting away, you've got to strive to be creative in your uh, dates, you, you've got to invest money into trips and dates and gifts. And listen, look at me, don't be, married couples, don't be apologetic about that. Drives me crazy when, when couples apologize for vacations. What we're trying to do, Christians, when we do this, is we're trying to counteract the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is bogus. Like, if you love God, God's going to give you money, and that's, that's lame and ridiculous, and it preys on poorer people. But we, we try to counteract that with what I would call the poverty gospel. And we, we take great pride and try to earn God's favor with not doing nice things. And that, that's not good either. Don't feel bad for going on a nice date, for spending money on, 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 on a good bottle of wine or a good meal. Don't feel bad for going on vacation. Stop it. It's an investment. It's holy. Parents, let me say this. You've got to figure out date nights. You've got to. It's an absolute must. Husbands, take some initiative. I've got an alarm on my phone that will chime and say, date night, be creative. That's literally what it says. And <laughs> date night, be creative, because I'm like, date night, cool. I know exactly the Italian restaurant we're going to. Then we're going to go out and get coffee at my favorite coffee. Nope. Like, you got to be creative. And, and moms, we often try to spiritualize. We, we don't leave our children as if that's holy. Now, I, I understand it's tough to, to find somebody that you trust, but you got to figure that out. And you might even have to exercise a step of faith. I don't 
I don't fully know how my child responds in this. But your dates are also an investment in your children. One of the best gifts, parents, that you can give your kids is a secure home. One of the best gifts that you can give your kids is a healthy example of a vibrant marriage because they don't see it on TV. And so invest money and time and energy and effort into your intimacy. Paul says this is a must. Faithful, fulfilling, frequent. This is an absolute must. So that's, that's our text for today. When married, you are fully hers or you are fully his. When married, you give yourself away sacrificially to each other under the example of Jesus who gave it all for you. When married, prioritize intimacy. Do whatever you got to do. Don't be apologetic about it. So, let's go be hearers and doers of the word. You're dismissed. No. Uh, if you're not married, if you're, you're single, can I say this? We are so happy you're here with us, and we, we deeply love you. And as I told you last week, we're going to continue on and get into singleness. Next week, we're going to get into what we're calling controlled burn. But, but you, may, you, may be, you may be even thinking, why does Paul have to command married couples to have sex? When I'm married, I mean, it's like two or three times a day. Lunch break, I mean, the, the point is, you have to work at this. You have to prioritize this. Creativity, money, time, conversation. you got to talk, humility. And singles, that applies to you as well. Like You have to work at this today. Today. That's why last week, chapter 6, he says, flee sexual immorality. Let me just remind you, as, as I shared last week, it's one of the few commands, I mean, all the other commands with regards to Scripture and sin, the Bible says resist, stand firm, fight. Sexual immorality says flee, like run for your stinking lives because your success rate there is not going to be very high. you got to run. And so singles, do whatever you got to do to flee. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Do whatever you got to do. Do whatever you got to do. I would say this. I would say single people, don't isolate yourself simply with people of the same age. We are constantly fighting as a church that we will have students as a part of our church family. What's well, not best for college students, but what they so want is to, to run towards a church that is full of just college students and single people because I can find my mate. It's a lot of fun. It's usually younger, hipper, more vibrant, more cool, right? That, but that's not best to isolate. Which you, you need to see healthy marriage relationships. You need to be around married people and let them set an example for you. It is, it is something you have to, you just, we, we're, we, we just are so fighting for that all the time. We want to help you there. And I say singles, it is so worth the wait, but nothing good comes easy. If you'd say, well, it's too late for me, I would say, no, listen, it's never too late to restart the process. Starting the day. Make a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Starting the day, I'm going to honor God with not just my heart, but with my body. Well, I can't control my... Yes, you can. God's given you all things. For, he doesn't call you to something that he can't help you to be victorious in. And so starting the day, 
And so married people, we work at this. Single people, it's worth the wait. You also have to work at this. And every single one of us need to hear that our lives are meant to be lived for other people. Our lives are meant to be lived in humility. Our lives are meant to be lived sacrificially because that's what Jesus has done for us. Every single week we gather like this, I'm going to ask every person in the room, have you, have you trusted in what Jesus has done for you, the ultimate act of sacrifice? I mean, who knows? Maybe somebody gives their life to Jesus during the sex sermon. But today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to call you that, that God became a man and took on human flesh. And the Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. Therefore, he's the only person who could die in your place to take the sacrifice for you because he's the only one who didn't deserve the wages of sin, which is death. But he died, he laid down his life for, for you and for me so that when God looks to punish us, what we deserve, he looks instead and sees Jesus standing in our place. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness if we trust in Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus, today's the day. Give your life to Jesus. Best decision you'll ever make. That is, turn from sin or independence from God and turn and say, I'm trusting in you, Jesus. It's a simple thing. You just call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That means if you say today, Jesus, I don't want to live without you. I need you. I trust in your life and your death and your resurrection because you defeat Satan, sin, and death for me. You can be made right with God. So we invite you to that as we pray and as we sing. I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus today. Would you close your eyes for just a minute? If you're a person in here today, I've never given my life to Jesus. I want to invite you to that right now. In your own words to the Lord, you can you can just talk to God as the band comes up and prepares to, to lead us. You just talk to God and say, God, would you, would you take my heart? I turn from sin and I turn to you. Married people in the room, there may be some things you need to repent of. You repent of the sin of withholding, of trying to punish. That's not Jesus. That's not how Jesus operates. You need to repent of the sin of being half-hearted and not trying to be creative and sacrificial and, and, and just thinking about how I can serve my spouse. How we used to do dates back when we were dating. How we, you date your wife till the day you die. So do what you got to do. Singles in the room, I, I'm going to pray for you that, that God would help you to turn, to flee from sexual immorality. If you need to flee, you flee hard. If you need help, we want to help you. Let us know. So God, I give my friends in this room to you. Thank you that you're doing a good work in our midst because your Bible has been open and I know that whenever it's open, it doesn't return void. And so just keep working in our hearts, Lord, as we respond now. Would you help us to respond in a way that is obedient to what you're doing in our hearts? God, we love you. And we thank you for the scriptures and for this day together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.